this is Father's Day, and I hope everybody had as happy a Father's Day as I've had so far. It's good to, always good to see family, and I hope that all of you are surrounded by family this day. And uh, that is a blessing to have your family with you. It is. Uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jonah. I'm going to look at Jonah the angry prophet a little bit this morning. First of all, a lot of people, and I, and a lot of unbelievers, I should say, maybe, they have trouble with the book of Jonah. They don't understand how anybody can be swallowed by a great fish and live for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. Uh, as the old fellow says, it might be just a little bit too much for them to swallow, but Notice what Jesus said about Jonah. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Much to Jonah's dislike, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So Jonah is not fiction. It is authenticated by Jesus himself. That being said, let us go on to Jonah, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, <laughs> that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness had come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he, so he paid his fare, went down in, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo which was on the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. He didn't seem to be worried at all. Worried at all. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise and call on your God, and perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And so they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for, for what cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. Someone once wrote of Jonah that he was the first foreign missionary, but that same person 
almost immediately said, but he was the worst foreign missionary as well. God said for Jonah to go to the east, and Jonah went to the west. God said to Jonah, go to Nebuchadnezzar, and Jonah bought a ticket to Tarshish, which uh, some believe was probably Spain. It seems in verse 3 that Jonah was looking to go somewhere, anywhere where God was not. He seemed to have the idea that uh, the Lord was a local God, not so. As the old saying is, oh, lots of luck on that one, for God is not a just local. He inhabits every bit of his creation. He's not a part of it, but he inhabits it. There is no place where God is not. Now, God really brings pressure to bear on Jonah the ticket that he bought to Tarshish was about to take him on a nightmare trip if you will notice that the Lord sent a great wind now I've been on the ship when there was a great wind and great waves when I was a young man I might have been all of 18 at the time I loaded on a troop ship with about 800 other fellows, and we all went on our way from New York to Bremerhaven, Germany in February. Cold weather. And during one of the trip, I was out on the deck and high waves, and the ship would go down like this. When it did that, the, the propeller would come out of the water, and it would rattle, rattle, rattle. It'd go up over the next wave. One of the sailors came up about that time, and I said, this is kind of rough out here, isn't it? He said, this is not rough. He said, if it was rough, we wouldn't let you on the board on, top, on the top deck. So uh, I guess uh, sometimes it's uh, always it's in the eye of the beholder. But I said that to say this, that that ship I was on was made out of steel. Now, it wasn't the best in the world or the biggest in the world, but it was pretty safe. But in Jonah's day, the ships were made out of wood nailed together with iron, which uh, loaded with something like wheat or whatever they had on board would uh, not have stayed afloat in the storm. There is a psalm that kind of fits here just a little bit. It says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and the wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises stormy winds which lift up the waves of the sea. The waves of the sea being at sea like that is both wonderful and terrifying at the same time. And there's a I guess there's something of a thin line between the two. So when Jonah bought his ticket to Tarshish, he got a lot more than he bargained for. Some have called him the reluctant prophet. He was more than that. He was a rebellious and an angry prophet. The price he paid for that ticket also bought him public exposure to his sins 
and those on the ship began to cast lots to find out who was to blame their, for their calamity, the God caused the lot to fall on Jonah. Now, I gather that lots are like casting dice. It's gambling of a sorts, but in this case, it was the Lord who controlled the dice. Numbers 32:23 says, "Be sure that your sins will find you out." And uh, I, <laughs> I have absolutely found that to be true in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Uh, many times we've seen people who uh, have committed committed murder, rape, robbery, and theft. They done it in secret. They done it in darkness. Nobody was ever going to know. They were going to get away with it. And the next thing you know, their deeds are exposed. They're on television for all to see. That includes people from the presidents right on down. Next notice that Jonah was afflicted, and that's from verses 12 through 17. Notice that the sailors were exceedingly afraid because the storm was getting worse. And ask a I guess it's a reasonable question at the time, what shall we do that the seas may be calm for us? And Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd probably try to keep my mouth shut about that point. Nevertheless, it said the Bible says that the crew rode hard to return to port, but the storm grew worse. So they threw Jonah into the sea. The sea ceased its raging. So here is another one of those places in scripture where the words peace be still applies. We know in the New Testament that uh, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and the storm was raging, the wind was blowing, the waves were coming up and they felt like they were going to drown and they called on Jesus and that's always been amazing to me, peace be still and everything ceased well this this is one of those places where God did this for these sailors it is a time and a place where God overruled nature an old song says when the storms of life are raging stand by me when the storms of life are raging or stand by me when the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, he who ruleth wind and water, stand by me. That's an old Tennessee Ernie Ford. I'm sure that many of you have heard it before. The interesting thing is that I heard it Saturday morning very early. And that's, uh, it's not very often that you hear that song. But it is still a nice song, and it still applies right here. The stilling of the storm was great for the sailors, but it was uh, on the 
other hand, Jonah's ticket to Tarshish had bought him a dinner date with a fish, and how was a fish going to find his dinner in a rough sea? Now notice chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, if you will. Jonah, the praying prophet, a careful reading of the chapter 1, verses Verses 17 with chapter 2, verse 1 reveals to us that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish before he began to pray, which reveals just how far away from God that Jonah was. I don't know about you, but I've probably been praying in the midst of the storm on the ship. And I certainly would have been praying before I hit the water. But the, can you just imagine being three days there without, without praying at all? Now Jonah was one of the worst, if not the worst, rebel in Scripture. His hard, hardness of heart was astounding. <coughs> I have remember just one person that uh, I thought that might be more stubborn than Jonah. I watched a, a Marine veteran of the Battle of Iwo Jima on TV being interviewed, and he made a statement. He says, everybody in the foxhole prayed. He said, everybody but me. And he said, I just waited to see what would happen. Well, you know what's going to happen to him if something had happened. Well, he survived. And as an old man, he said, I'm still waiting. That is hardness of heart beyond degree, and he got Jonah beat by a country mouth. The book of Jonah is mostly narrative. It's the only book of the prophets that, that is. The exception is chapter 2, which is written as a psalm. So it seems when that Jonah began to pray, he sang his prayers to God. And then we find in chapter 3, Jonah, the recommissioned prophet. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the message that I give you. Wasn't a tough message. Wasn't hard to remember. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was it. That was the whole message. Just eight words. But just one word may explain why Jonah was so angry and so rebellious. And that word is overthrown. It has two meanings in Hebrew. One is overthrown, and that's what the Ninevites heard and understood. It moved them to repent in sackcloth and ashes. The other meaning of overthrown is converted. 
40 days and Nineveh will be converted. That was not to Jonah's liking. He hated the Ninevites and rebelled at the very idea of God saving them. The Ninevites are an Old Testament example of what Jesus was speaking about in John chapter 10, verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The Lord is concerned with all people, and it was the Ninevites' turn. It was a city that was ripe for conversion or destruction. God sent them an offer of peace in the form of an angry and rebellious prophet whose name means dove. You could say that Jonah the man was a message to Nineveh. White hot hate as one man hates another or an offer of love and salvation through the dove, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. God makes us the same offer today. We can cling to our sins through the world, the flesh, and the devil. Or we can live, and we can live for ourselves in this world looking at for love and peace and never finding it. Or we can accept God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. With it comes a peace that surpasses all understanding, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of a future home in heaven with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. I don't know how long that's going to be. None of us do. But what a wonderful prospect for our future. Jesus said that we will get there by the skin of our teeth. But better to get there by the skin of our teeth than to not get there at all. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and an amen and amen to that. If we reject Jesus Christ, we will perish in our sins and be eternally lost. So like Nineveh, we have to make a decision, each of us. Nineveh was ripe for conversion or destruction, and I believe that our nation is also in that position ripe for destruction or a great awakening. 
I don't know. I think we are in a period of grace for now. But for how long? I mean, who knows? I don't. How long will the Lord put up with abortion on demand that uh, murders millions of unborn, unborn children? That is, puts a blood guiltiness on our nation that is fearful to me to consider. Because if, if it bothers me, think how, what it must do to the Lord. We've killed more people in our nation than the Baal worshipers of old. How long will the Lord put up with homosexual marriage, lesbian marriage, and also the adoption of children by homosexuals? How long will God put up with our gross sin? I don't know. And we had a, an awakening in our nation one time a time when God moved mightily in our nation. In the past, he's been gracious to us. In the 1730s or 40s, he sent America the first great awakening. Two great preachers are, are known from that era. Jonathan Edwards, who preached a, a message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and I feel like we may be there now. By the way, they published their sermons in those days, and they handed them out. And I think that's one reason that uh, we had a great awakening. And the other preacher that was well known was George Whitfield. And he made several preaching tours of the colonies, which was colonies at that time. But there's one thing I would have you consider. And had there been no first great awakening, there would probably would not have been a United States. Many of our generals and leaders and officers and soldiers in the revolution were Christians because of that first great awakening. Also, our founding fathers, those who wrote our Constitution, were Christians. By the 1790s, the first great awakening was history. It was gone, over with. And then we have the great second great awakening, Kentucky in the 1790s. And I'm not sure that's where the second great awakening started, but it got there. And with good reason, it needed to be there. There was a place on the Red River called Rogues Bay. Every fugitive in, from the United States and from everywhere else, that's where they ended up. That's where they fled for, to, to, from, from justice. So much so that it became called Rogues Bay and uh, they were the majority. They ran things. But there is a, a scripture that where, grace, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. There was a preacher that was inquiring at a lonely cabin for people of like faith. He was Presbyterian, by the way. 
And he asked what in the world could God do with such a godless place and such godless people. In about 1800, there came a preacher by the name of James McCready. He filled the meeting house with his sermons, moved outside, started a camp meeting, and the second great awakening in our country spread everywhere. The point is, we need another great awakening. We need for for our, our country to be saved. Without a third great awakening, I think I would feel like there will not be a United States. Not as we know it. Those who are not saved and those who have turned away from the Lord and Someone mentioned this morning that we were in the midst of a falling away, and yes, we are. There are those in our nation who just absolutely refuse to listen to anything to say that a preacher or a Christian says. Their, their hardness of heart is astounding. So we need a revival in our church and in our land we need to turn from our wicked ways and seek the Lord's face, just like that sign says on the wall back. And this is the second church I've preached in lately that has that same banner, not by accident. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. How much we need that. What was the results of the Second Great Awakening? American Bible Society, American Foreign Mission Board, <coughs> American Sunday School Board, the Track Society, Home Missions, Temperance Society, you name it, it just the list just keeps on and on and on. Wonderful things happen when a nation turns to the Lord. And that's what we need. Exactly. And I, I, I hope that we'll have that third great awakening. Now, I've heard some say that we had a revival after World War II and being a child at the time, I can say maybe we did, but if, if it was, it was local. We need the Lord. We need him badly. And let's close by prayer this morning. Lord, we just lift up our nation to you. We need for to have a great awakening, Lord, for our people that people will come to realize their need of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, for a great awakening or revival for our churches. And our people and our churches will turn from our wicked ways, Lord, and turn to you and seek your face. We do need.
to be saved as a people and saved as individuals and saved as a nation, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name.